Good morning. So good to be together. That was Michael Jordan, kids. My goodness. Now, a lot of the videos I show on a Sunday morning, I like have found that week or somebody sent them to me. That right there I have bookmarked on my computer. I watch it all the time. So if you've been with us more than once, you know that I play basketball a couple times a week. I talk about it a lot. We've been playing basically the same group of guys. It's over 20 years now. And so what the best part about that is we're all getting worse at about the same rate. And so we can still fool ourselves into thinking, this isn't that bad, right? But I love it. We have a blast with each other. We give each other a hard time. Not long ago, one of the guys on my team, because it's also been the same teams for about eight years, which is so weird, but we keep the same teams. One of the guys on my team says to me, Mike, you know, I used to think that Mark, who's on the other team, was like a really good player. But now that you've been guarding Luke, who is Mark's son, and also a really good player, and both Mark and Luke, whenever I'm guarding them, just kill us, right? This, my friend goes, I'm starting to think you're just a bad on defense. <laughs> and you know what? I know that I'm bad on defense. I am bad on defense, and frankly, it doesn't bother me. It bothers me when I'm bad on offense. That's the part that, that I, where I get really frustrated. But every athlete will tell you the same story. There are days... You know, when things just go right and you're like, you know, you're on fire. Uh, you're feeling it. You're hot. You're unconscious. We call it a lot of different things. Players do. Sports, sports psychologists actually have a technical term for it. They call it the zone. It calls, it, it's called being in the zone. And all athletes would love to be in the zone all the time. But that is not always the case. There are other days, days like this one, six missed shots in four seconds, right? And then there's a steal, and they come down and dunk the ball on these guys. You know, it's just so bad. And so, um, but there are days when nothing is right. Nothing's working. You miss every shot. Now, I've recently come back into coaching. I think I told you guys about that. I was selected as the assistant to the assistant for the JV basketball team at Lakeshore High School. I know, thank you. Woo, grueling process to get that job, let me tell you. And so unfortunately, our, our last game, our team looked a lot, more like more, a lot more like that second video than the first one. And I just wanna go on the record and say I blame the head coach for that, okay? So, and I don't wanna say his name, or you know, it doesn't matter, really. It's just not me, it's the most important thing. But, but high school players have a name for this. Like, when you do everything right, you're trying your hardest, you do all the right things and you miss every shot, they'll say, oh, gee, I'm just broke. That's such a weird saying to me when I first heard it, I'm broke. And, and isn't that an interesting description, right? And I wish it was only true for basketball. But I go through whole seasons of life where life itself feels broke. And I know I'm not living in the zone. One of my um, continual battles I have, and this is an ongoing, it's an ongoing thing, is I have a self-esteem issue. And it's, it's way too high, really. Now, it may, <laughs> that may sound like a good problem or that I'm joking, but it really isn't, and I'm not, <laughs> okay? It is a serious problem, and I'm serious about it. And uh, I've talked about it with a number of my mentors and um, guides in my life, and I shared it um, several years ago with a, my, a mentor of mine, Judy Koopmans, who I love dearly. And she wrote me back 
And she said this, your awareness of it is God's work in you. Don't try to fix yourself. Whatever that me behind everything is, let it be. Know that growing and healing are happening. Nurture the willingness to let that process take place at its own rate. Now that phrase, nurture the willingness, I just, wow, it just like jumped off the screen at me because that's the opposite of what I want to do. Like I want to fix it as in get rid of it now. So not long after that interaction with Judy, we were out to dinner with some friends and the waitress came over and as she was putting my order down in front of me, she had this really beautiful tattoo that said, trust your struggle. And I was like, whoa, okay, God, I get it. Like when the ball won't go in, when I'm broke, this is what I need to do. Nurture the willingness to trust your struggle. I love that phrase. And in fact, I used it in a talk several years ago. And a couple weeks later, a storyliner came up to me out in the, in the lobby, my age. She came up to me, she rolled up her sleeve, and right there was her new tattoo, Nurture the willingness to trust your struggle. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is now how I determine who is and is not taking me seriously. <laughs> so if you don't have a tattoo to show me, I don't want to hear it, okay? So this idea of nurturing the willingness to trust our struggle is what I'd like to consider this morning. And in a lot of ways, what we're going to be looking at the next few weeks is we're starting a series this morning about questions that God asks us and so to, to begin this i want to look at the first place the first time that humanity got broke and it happens right away unfortunately in our story at the very beginning of the bible the book of genesis tells us the story and that of creation and it's that wonderful spectacular miraculous part of the story and it lasts for two pages you know, and the Bibles are, depending on the translation, thousand pages long. The first two pages, this is amazing. And then we get broke. The wheels fall off when Adam and Eve decide that they know better than God how to run down a dream. And from there, it's just been chaos in a lot of ways ever since. So even though Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, which when, I love this little translation of the Garden of Eden, really means the Garden of God's presence. They decide to go off on their own. And this is the first missed shot in human history, and, and life's been broke ever since. And so this is what the Bible says happens next. The man, Adam, and his wife, Eve, heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees of the garden. So this is what I first notice about this story, because it's what I do, too. When we realize that we're off, that, um, you know, that we're broke, our first instinct is, I better hide. I've got to hide, or I've got to hide that. And that really should be the end of the story, right? It's like you're almost like exiting the story. I'm going to hide this, I'm going to hide that, and I'm going to pretend and pose and just kind of move forward. But that isn't the end of the story. The Bible does not end on page three. And here's why. Because the first question that we're going to look at this morning is not what do we do when we are broke, but what does God do when we're broke? When Adam and Eve were in trouble, what happens next 
is not something they did at all. When something isn't quite right or something is bad wrong, God, from the very beginning, takes the initiative. And especially compared to how some people try to describe like God's personality, his feelings, his emotions, and mood, when you look at the God of the Bible, God does go easy on us. It's a beautiful thing. And this is one of the things about Jesus that religious people in his time just hated. See, Jesus liked all the wrong people. He didn't wait for people to come to him or to find their own way. He came right to real people in their real lives as they really are. And the truth is, it wasn't always pretty. Like, sometimes I imagine trying to be in some of these scenes where just all of these folks are gathered around Jesus or Jesus goes to these different people, and it's just outright undignified. I mean, it's a spectacle at times. And religious people are always dignified, right? And beyond that, Jesus was, real, was very clear that God really loves everyone, even those who've missed every shot. You see, before we get our act together, before we get all cleaned up, long before we're living in the zone and making every shot, God, even when we're hiding, he comes to us. He takes the initiative. He comes for us. In fact, the way Jesus accepted and forgave people, I think when, you, when we really look at this, it would make even the most merciful and compassionate and the, the most forgiving of us just cringe. Like he is being way too easy on us or on them, right? Think about this. When Jesus is being crucified, and I've talked about this before, he prays a prayer from the cross and it's praying for the Roman guards who are torturing him. And this is what he says. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So here's a question. Were the men who crucified Jesus forgiven? They never stopped. They, never, they didn't suddenly realize how wrong they were and how awful they were. And they didn't ask for forgiveness. They did not repent. So were they forgiven? Well, if you say no, then you're in a very difficult position of believing that Jesus prayed the wrong prayer or that God didn't answer Jesus' prayer. But if they were forgiven, then who can't be? Now, I'm sure you've had bad days. I've had bad days too, but no one here has ever done anything worse than killing Jesus, right? <laughs> that's a bar that's tough to clear, right? Loved as we are, accepted as at our worst, forgiven before we ask, that is Jesus. He shocked the religious elite, but it really shouldn't have. Because right here in Genesis, at the very beginning, God is doing the same thing. God is after us. He comes to meet us in our worst moments, to find us in our hiding places. Don't miss this amazing mercy and forgiveness, acceptance and love when we're broke. When things couldn't go worse, God comes after us. And in the life and death of Jesus, we see that God is actually fighting for us. I know she heard you. Scared of love 
things get lost She didn't deserve you Cause your precious heart is a precious heart She didn't know what she had And I thank God oh, It's gonna take just a little time But you're gonna see I was born to love you So in the midst of our worst day, our lowest moment, no matter how broke we are, no matter how broke we feel, God has 
He is and he will fight for us. Realizing this, being aware of this, holding it before us, is what builds our trust in his goodness for us. And this trust in God's goodness for us is what the Bible calls faith. In fact, one of the things that I find most helpful is whenever I'm reading the Bible, every time I see the word faith, I take that word out and I insert this phrase, a trust in God's goodness for me. And everything just kind of like, like the page lights up. So I'd encourage you to try that sometimes with some of your, some passages when you see that word faith. And faith is essential. And it's not because God is having a bad hair day and he really needs people to believe in him. Okay? It's because without faith in God, we won't be on board with what happens next. When, when we find ourselves in this, the life where we're hiding, where we're broke, where we're off. Because what God does next, he doesn't, just, he doesn't just come to us. He doesn't just fight for us. When we're broken, hiding, he actually has something to say to us. And again, we see it right here at the beginning. So if we're going to nurture the willingness to trust our struggle and everything that we can get out of the struggles of life, we have to listen for and hear and trust God's voice. So back to our question then. What does God do when we're broke? The first thing seems to be that he comes to meet us. And the second thing that he does is he has something to say. He has something to say. So when Adam and Eve, they ate the apple, they, they, it's, that's giving up on God, really. It's saying, God, we don't trust that you have our best interests at heart. So we're going to do things our way. So they stopped trusting in God's goodness for them. Yet God still sought them and fought for them and he had something to say and this is so amazing because you think like a lecture is coming right or an, at least an explanation but that none of that happens here's what god has to say he asks them a question last week we saw how jesus asked his followers a question right in the middle of a horrible storm he asked the question where is your faith and there's a lot of ways to take that like you've got it in you bring it out or it could be, hey, are you so panicked right now because your faith really isn't in me, it's in smooth sailing, or it's in getting to your goal, the other side. So there's a lot of ways that that could be taken, but it's God asking us a question in the middle of a storm. And right in the middle of this horrible storm, where is your faith? So I ask some friends um, if God asks them questions. And here's just a few examples of the questions that God is asking some storyliners. Are you using the gifts that I gave you? Why do you believe that? Do you really believe I'll take care of you? What is it that you think I want from you? Who is your heart broken for? So God actually asks a lot of questions if we're listening. And it starts in the very beginning of the Bible because the Bible says that Adam and Eve hid from God among the trees of the garden, but God called to the, to the man, and he said, where are you? Now, come on. God knows where they are, 
It's not like, you know, every once in a while I play hide and seek with my kids. Most of the time I knew where they are, but every once in a while I'm like, where are, you know, like, where are you guys? God knows where they're hiding, right? What he's saying here is, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's like trying to hide, it's little kids trying to hide from you in hide and seek when they cover their eyes, right? This question is all about like self-awareness and humility. Are we aware that God can see us? That that God, before God, that we're naked. Are we aware that so often too much of life is like this elaborate cover-up? Our achievements, accumulations, our image management can be an attempt to hide from how unworthy or inadequate that we, we feel. So even when things appear good sometimes, they're really bad for us. One time a buddy told me, when things are going good, I always struggle thinking, I don't deserve this. So when we, we can get so broke that even when we're in the zone, we're still broke. <laughs> Always waiting for like the other shoe to drop. Like this can't last, right? So God asks us this question, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because so often we don't know. We don't know. He's trying to raise our awareness. Where are we? Like what are we doing and why? Are we aware of our nakedness and the things that we do to try to hide that? The ways that we feel unworthy, if you will. And the second part of this question is really about humility. Like, can you just admit that? Can, you just, can we admit that about ourselves? The first time this dawned on me was actually as a basketball player way back in the day. I don't want to say how many years ago, but I, I uh, had no idea how scared I was to fail at playing basketball in high school until my high school career was over. I went on, I played it for a year at LMC, and then I uh, quit, devastated the team by quitting that team. I didn't play the second year. And I, so I decided that was it. So then my junior year, I transferred to Calvin College, and the coach asked me to play. And it was a very different feeling for me because it was absolutely no pressure. It was like all bonus, like this guy came to me, right? Like, and so I actually didn't care if I failed. I, I wasn't trying to prove anything to anyone. I wasn't hiding behind basketball for the first time. I didn't need it to go a certain way, to feel a certain way about me. I had started following Jesus a few years before that, and what my accomplishments and achievements meant took on a whole new like perspective for me. So I approached basketball with this freedom, like whatever, you know, and it was so fun and I played way better. I was almost only just bad instead of really bad, right? Now there's no doubt, no doubt, and I think we all know this, that the fear of failure is a powerful driver of human behavior, right? And it accounts for more than just a little bit of human achievement, but it's not living in the zone. None of us want to be motivated or driven by that. It sucks the life out of us. And so God's question, like, where are you, is a gift he's giving us to help us discover our favorite hiding places. What, what, what are we, where are we hiding? What are we hiding behind? Is it success? Is it, is it how we look? Is it our reputation? Is it control, security? Is it our physical health? It is, is it, you know, what people think of us? What is it? When we are broke, God comes to us and he asks us this. Where are you? Like, 
What are you doing? What are you doing? Do you know that you're just hiding and the hiding's making things worse? It just makes things worse. So if we won't answer God's question honestly, we can go through life all dressed up, looking good, all the goods, all the gadgets, and broke. And broke. And when the storm comes, that's when the boat floods. But along the, all along the way, secretly, behind the scenes, even when it's smooth sailing, we're wondering, why doesn't life feel like the zone? Because everything looks good. So to become aware of when and why and how we hide, this is really difficult work. It, it requires intention. It requires attention, uh, courage, and self-reflection. We might need to actually unplug our lives from time to time to walk in the garden of God's presence. Like, whatever that looks like for you or for me. And this is one way that I think we can nurture the willingness to trust our struggle. To trust that what God can show us and give us through the struggle in the storm. My friend Mark, who now is getting two mentions this morning, um, makes movies. He teaches film at uh, Lakeshore High School and he makes a lot of short movies. And years ago, he made a film called Recreated Date. And uh, the trailer has fun with this idea of self-awareness and of asking ourselves tough questions. It's about a guy who likes a girl, but feels the, the first date is just horrible. It's just a mess. So it's so bad that he goes to his best friend and they set out. Uh, you guys, I out. find a way to what show it every couple years. <laughs> I'm like, it's been a while since we've done recreated date, but it's really great. Apparently I was busy during filming, so he had to settle for Cook as the uh, co-star, but whatever. So this film plays with this reality that we all lack a self-awareness. We need help to see ourselves. That when we're broke, we need help. And that begins by stopping and getting quiet, asking hard questions. And, and still, it, it starts by asking questions of God. Enough to hear God say, like, where are you? What are you doing? And yes, it, it certainly could get weird. But if we want to live in the zone, we have to hear and trust God. So after God asks, where are you? The book of Genesis continues like this. He, Adam, answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? So the second thing that God has to say is another question. Who told you that? Who told you that? Do you remember the first time that you began to think, you began to think that you weren't good enough? Like for some of us, that's a big day. Like something happened. Like right now, some of us are thinking of, oh, it was then, that birthday, that report card, that whatever. You know, you remember the day that you realized that stripped down, naked to just you, take away looking pretty, running fast, being smart. No blue ribbons, trophies, or honor roll, or being the class clown, or mommy's good boy, or girl, 
when did it first hit you that if you aren't dressed up in all of that stuff, that you felt inadequate, that you felt exposed, vulnerable, naked, like I'm, I'm not enough without that. Maybe you can't remember that moment. I don't have a specific moment like that. But what we see here in Genesis is God does remember. He does know that that's true for all of us. He remembers when we first flirted with the idea that we aren't good enough. I used to show parts of this film in my ethics class at um, Lakeshore called The Cider House Rules. It's a fantastic film. It's not a family-friendly film, but it's a fantastic film. It stars um, Tobey Maguire and Michael Caine. And, um, and the Cider House Rules, the main character is a, a Dr. Lurch. And, and his name is, or his, he runs an orphanage. And his character is all about taking care of these orphans. And he's cared for so many young people throughout the years. He's learned this. And I thought this was a great line. He said, adolescence begins when we believe there are things about us that we have to hide from those that we love. And this shame is such a shame because it cuts us off from the resources we so desperately need in that moment when we hide right then, which is our first instinct. And that is why hiding makes God angry in this first, one of these first interactions. Who told you that? And do you hear what he's saying? What God is saying here? He's saying, I love you as you are, not as you or anyone else thinks that you should be. When God asks, who told you that? Who told you we're not good enough as you are? This is what he's saying. Whoever told you that you weren't good enough, it was not me. I remember one time when I was complimenting my daughter, Jenna. She must have been five or six years old, uh, maybe a little bit older, seven or eight years old, and she was soaking it in, right? Like, I said, oh, Jenna, I thought you looked so pretty today, and I loved how you played in your soccer game, and you encouraged your teammates and listened to your coach, and then it hit me, like, wow, well, this is nice, I'm trying to be encouraging, but it can also be dangerous, right? Like, I don't want Jenna to think that all of that is why I love her. Yet, I certainly didn't want to hold back on, like, you know, giving her, uh, encouraging her and, and complimenting her either. So it just came out of my mouth one time. I said, but Jenna, that is not why I love you. I love you because, and I used that phrase so many times with her. And she, that at one point, she goes, I know, Dad, I know. You love me because I'm yours. This is why God loves us. And, and on a human level, what, this, what can you do for me level, it really makes no sense to us. And frankly, this is the hardest thing to believe about God. Not like, is he real? Is he there? The hardest thing to believe about God is, is he good? Is he good? Is he good for me? Which brings us back to this word we talked about a little bit ago of faith. Nurturing the willingness to trust in our struggle is, in the end, the struggle for faith. Like a trust in God's goodness for us. Not in God's existence, 
not even in God's presence. Remember the Garden of Eden is the Garden of God's presence. It's the, gar- it, it, it's a, it's a, the trust and the struggle to believe that God is good. If his love isn't for or isn't about our goodness, you can think about it this way. If, if we drop that, if his love isn't about our goodness, how pretty we are, how many trophies we have, and all that other stuff we wear to hide, that means his love for us must be all about his goodness. And that means that we're completely dependent on God's grace, which is what makes the life of faith in God's grace so amazing and so hard all at the same time. A while back, two friends of mine, both men, separate conversations, both of them about my age, told me that essentially the same thing. I still struggle with this grace thing, Mike. We talk about it all the time, and I still struggle believing that I'm good enough as is. And of course, this is another reason that religious people just hate grace. Religion is all about the opposite of grace. It's about controlling God, doing certain things, saying certain things, believing certain ways that really then compel God to love us and accept us. You see, religion's promise is if you believe the right way, if you act the right way, God is like trapped in this deal. He's obligated to do good for you. You don't have to trust in his goodness. Religion is all about like amplifying how we trust in our goodness. Religion is ultimately not about God. It's about us, which is why it's so intoxicating. And why when you threaten someone's religion, things get really, really ugly. But here, if we'll just trust, if we'll just nurture the willingness to trust in God, to struggle with God, to listen for God, and we, can, we will find that if when we turn off the noise, when we set down our trophies and our trinkets, if we'll come out of hiding, we will hear the voice of God in the garden. What are you doing? And when we admit, I was afraid I wasn't good enough for you to love me. We'll hear God respond, who told you that? Not me. I love you because you're mine. Storyline is a community of very broken and imperfect people. Nurturing the willingness, trusting our struggle to come out of hiding and trust in the goodness of God. That's it. That's what we're doing. And that struggle can be very undignified at times. I mean, when we're honest about it. And to some people, that's not acceptable. It just doesn't look the way it's supposed to look. One time someone who doesn't come to Storyline saw me after the gathering, and they dressed like this, and they know what I do here, and they're like, Mike, do you dress like that? Like, to go to church? Shouldn't you be wearing your best for God? And I said, oh my God, if you think my outside looks bad, you should see my inside. Like, there, there is no dressing this up, people. We can't, we can't hide from God. We can hide from ourselves, but we can't hide from God. God knows where we are. God knows what we're doing. He sees where we are hiding. And, and the question is, do we know it? Can we? Will we admit it? Will we do what we need to do alone and together 
to nurture the willingness to struggle for faith. Because that's what it is. When we are broke, God comes to us and invites us through these questions to come out of hiding, stop pretending, stop doing everything right and all the right things, and just be honest with ourselves and with him and to live in the love that he is literally dying to give us. One friend wrote me that they believe God is asking them this. Will you trust me even when things don't turn out how you think they should? Now, I know that for many of us, we are in that exact struggle right now. And so this morning, I wanna, we're going to end with a very special song. And I really want to dedicate this song to a few folks that I know of and the many folks that I'm sure this is true of that are in that struggle right now. So for Maggie and Susie and Danielle and Greg and Lois and Mike and Heidi and Don and Sarah and Sue and Ron and everyone who's fighting for faith in God's goodness, this song is for you. If the mountains are where you hide, oh, how far I'd scale the valleys if you grace the other side. Oh, how long will I chase the river from lowly seas to where they rise against the rush of grace descending? From the source of its supply is in the highlands and the heartache that we the marvelous incline. I would search and stop at nothing. You're just not that hard to find. How Steps 
trust our struggle for faith in God. Maybe it begins with realizing that we're all broke and yet God fights for us. He has come to meet us, which makes the summit 
wherever our feet are. That he's asking us good and loving questions, which makes heaven where our heart is. Maybe living in the zone is nurturing the willingness to trust that God loves us, not because of our goodness, but because of his. Because we are his. May we all come out of hiding and trust in that God and the grace of that God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time in this place, for this opportunity to be together. We lift up to you our friends, our family members, the folks in our community who are struggling in any way, who are tempted to hide as we all are when things are broke. I pray that you would help us to see one another and to echo <laughs> your voice to one another. Where are you? What are you doing? Come out of hiding. Come into this grace. So God, we lift up um, one another this morning, especially in all of that. We're thankful for your grace, for coming to us, for coming for us, for loving us as we are. I pray this morning that as we leave, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming, folks. Hope to see you next week when we look at some more questions God is asking us.